Today, it's going to be a little bit similar to last week as we journey through John. We're in John chapter 6, verses 15 to 21. 15 is kind of by itself, but our text, will, will it, it'll grab a hold of verse 15. We're also going to look in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33, and Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Luke, on the other hand, does not cover this event. The title of the message, Beyond the Surface, you'll see it all goes to the same thing. Beyond the Surface is the title. There is more to the surface of Jesus walking on the water. All right. I want to let you know We're still heading to, I think, my personal opinion, the saddest verse in the New Testament. It's in this chapter. So we want to grab a hold of what we talked about last week, just as a reminder. So John chapter 6, verse 14. I'll read this again. This was the end of our text last week. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. What sign? The feeding of the 15,000. Yeah, I said it that way on purpose. In all of our Bibles, it says the feeding of the 5,000. But we did the math last week. We read all of the texts, and we know that it was 15,000 or more. Had to be. Because they were only counting the men when it was reported 5,000, plus women and children, one of the texts clearly told us. But the people are marveling. Like, Whoa, this is the one. Now we pick up with verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And I love the fact that John's including this because Mark is the gospel that brings in all the retreating by himself. That's where we find Jesus continually doing this by himself and sometimes with his disciples. And here we see it in John. So I think it's significant enough to note it. I would like to bring in Matthew at this time. We're going to try to bring them all in. In Matthew chapter 14, we'll start with verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there all alone. And maybe if we follow his pattern, we will see that that's a good thing for us to do that sometimes, to take some time to be by ourselves. But we see Jesus is by himself alone, and we'll get more of the story as we move on. But let's go ahead and read the next verse in Matthew. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And we'll get a little bit more of a picture of what's actually happening here as we move on. And we remember this was the Sea of Galilee. It had multiple other names over the years. But it's the Sea of Galilee, and it's the second largest freshwater sea in the world. Uh, The second largest 
I'm sorry, second lowest freshwater sea in the world. So it's in this big valley, and they're already on a mountain, but Jesus is going to dismiss the crowds. He dismisses his disciples. They get in a boat. We'll learn how far away it is in a minute. We'll figure it out, and I'll show you how to do this in a minute. But one of the things to note is the wind was against them. So he is sending them out on purpose, go that way, but the wind is fighting them. The creator of the universe, do you think he knows this? Of course he knows this. This is the way it plays out, and sometimes in your life, that's exactly the way it feels. You've got this thing you think you're supposed to be doing that the Lord wants you to do, and as you go to try to do it, it seems like you're fighting against things beyond your control. Is it possible that he might be sending you to go do that thing? And he's got a lesson in here somewhere for you. Just go do it. Well, that, that's what's happening with the disciples. And we'll see it play out almost like in a movie in your mind. And so that you're aware, it's kind of a unique thing that we have going on here. It, not, not just here in this church, but in most churches, the way it plays out is you have the preacher stands on the stage. And I still consider it a very humbling honor to get to do that. I'm thankful I get to serve in this way. And I love that the Lord is gracious enough to use me. And I'm, I love that he's gracious enough that you uh, are uh, very kind in allowing me to be the one who does this. But as this happens, it's kind of unique because I cannot, I, I don't have the skills, I don't, I don't have the talent to entertain you for 30 minutes to an hour. I don't, I don't have it every week. And if it really was all about that, most of us would get sick and tired of seeing that same person week after week. The thing is, it's all about this book. This book is so chock full of so much fantastic, remarkable material. And I don't have to do anything to improve upon this because I can't. We just go through it and you see stuff and sometimes things come to life right in front of you. And this doesn't just happen in our services. It happens when you're at home and you're doing this by yourself. It happens in Sunday school because this is the word of God. And it does say about itself that it's living and active, doesn't it? It is. And we see it play out every Sunday morning and I love it. So we know that the wind's fighting against them. By this time, they're long away. Now, I want you to pay attention. There's a footnote there in, you, in the text behind me, and your Bibles might have a similar footnote. So I'm going to show you what that looks like. You'll see it pop up behind me. That's Greek. You'll see the way you say it is stadius palus, and it's actually stadius palus, and it equals approximately 600 feet. And, and then that's the first word because it's uh, stadius and it's mini stadius, so it means approximately 607 many of those. <laughs> so it's an interesting little thing, but I'm going to go ahead and give you something ahead of time, and you'll, you'll probably wonder, how did he come up with that? I'm going to go ahead and give you this. You'll see the number pop up behind me in yellow. It's approximately three miles. 26, <laughs> my... Uh, Microsoft PowerPoint loves to correct my spelling. It's not supposed to be studious. It's supposed to be stadious. I'm trying to do Greek here, not English. So uh, it's approximately 26 stadius, which is three miles away. 
Now let's take a look at what Mark does in bringing some information in. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 is where we begin in that piece. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And we already know he's alone, but there's a few things that you can see that come out of Mark. His purpose in going up to be by himself wasn't just to, I just need to get away. I just got to get away. It wasn't that. It's not just, I just got to get my mind off of all this. I'm just going to go sit and think. It's not that. It's for prayer. Now, think about that. Let your head wrap around that. Wait a minute. This is the Son. This is God in the flesh. He's praying? Why does he need to pray? Doesn't he have a direct line to the Father? Well, so do we. Through prayer. That's it. And if the Son needs to pray, we need to pray. And he goes off by himself to do this. And some of you know very well what this is like. If, and you, many of you have memories. You think, oh, I remember that one time that, man, I was by myself. I was praying by the creek. And you, know, you have those memories. You have a, probably a bunch of them. May I encourage you to be like Jesus and make more of them. You've got these good memories for a reason. This, God uses this as a time as you're praying alone with him to pull you closer to him and align with what he wants you to do. And Jesus is about to do something. So he's talking to the Father about it. Now, it's fascinating to me. Uh, Mark pulls this out, and it's also evening. It's, it's, it's at nighttime. So, and that's a broad range of what that could be, but we're going to let the other text tell us more about the time that this actually happened, and we'll, we'll kind of take a look at some other things that happened in a similar timeline. I want to show you the map of the Sea of Galilee again. And last week, I want to actually turn around and watch this. I can see the screen on the back wall, but I don't see this one because I was told it's hard to see. There you go. See that? Come in. That, that ball that just bounced on there. Some of you can't see it. I know you told me last week. Um, <clears throat> there it is again. Wow, JC, you are good. I didn't even tell him to do that. He just did that it's on his own. He's it, Him up here playing the... The, the drum box adds so much to our service, and being excellent back there is amazing. So thank you. So now watch it. You'll see it move as uh, they're going across the water. It's moving very slowly, so you might not notice. <clears throat> but it's going to not make it to Bethsaida, at least for the purpose of our story at this particular time in the event. It's barely moving, and so it stopped at a particular place. I already told you three miles. Now, we'll get to how I came up with that number in just a minute. Let's look in our text again in John chapter 6, and we'll pick up with the next verse where we left off. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So it's not just that the wind is against them, that they're fighting to get across. <clears throat> if they are using a a boat that has a sail, it's not going to be very effective. If they're using a boat that has oars, still, 
You have wind going against you, but now we learn it's not just wind, it's a strong wind. And some of you might know what that's like. Stephanie and I were on a cruise. At one particular cruise we were on, there was a storm. It wasn't the kind that they record and put on video for you to see and be entertained by how much that ship's moving, but it was enough to make you a little queasy. And normally I don't get queasy on cruise ships. I get queasy on the little fishing ships, but never on a cruise, and I did then. But I've also been in a, in a boat, in the water, in stagnant water, not like the Sea of Galilee. This is in a swamp in Louisiana. Bear with me as I share with you. And we're just, gonna, we're just catfishing. I, I don't know how many of you love catfish, but those of us who love catfish, it's because we grew up on it, and that's what we like. And I, I grew up on it. I'm from the South. I'm supposed to love catfish. It's one of my least favorite f- fish. I, it's got a strong flavor. I, I got to have Louisiana hot sauce mixed in with ketchup or something to kill that fish flavor. I'm telling you, if you, if you eat catfish, you're going to want to dip it in something. I'm, I, I have to. But we're catfishing. That's what I grew up doing. So we're catfishing on the swamp, and we're catching our catfish. And th- out of the blue, we had no idea the storm just came. And down there... When storms come, and one that looked like this, it looked like a tornado. It was a black sky that just came up on us. And we're out in a very remote area. Nobody knows. If, I mean, my family knew where I was going, but how would they find us? I mean, it's in a swamp. And the, it started pushing our boat, so the wind started pushing our boat so hard, we gave up on trying to move. We can't control the boat. So... My friend John that was with me, he decided to take the oar. I told him, I think we need to tie off at that stump. We're heading to a tree stump in the swamp. We need to tie off at this stump as a broken off uh, cedar. And as we're getting closer and closer to it, um, I'm getting ready to tie the rope. And I had the rope ready. And so just as soon as we hit it, whoo, I get the rope on it. We're locked on. Little did I know. This was going to be our refuge. This is going to be where we stay to ride out the storm. But my chosen refuge, this stump, had a beehive in it. And when we hit it, they're everywhere. So they start popping us, and we jump in the water, and they get angrier when they're underwater and on your skin. And I, at the time, was allergic to bee stings. I'm no longer, which I'm thankful. But I'm thinking, I could die out here, you know? It's crazy. And, and if you've ever been in a Louisiana swamp, you know there are other things that lie beneath. You don't want to be in the water. The bees are, are little, of little concern compared to what else is in the water. So in my particular story, where I thought I would find refuge in my storm, it was a bad choice. I just want to throw that out there for you. John chapter 6, verse 18, makes me think of that. So we'll move on to the next verse. Oh, no, we're going to go to Mark. Chapter 6, verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, without bee stings. For the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them, pass by them. Now, there's a lot here in what Mark gives us. Now, To me, the most noteworthy thing about what Mark gives us is what he doesn't. 
And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But so Jesus sees them and he sees that they are struggling so much so that he's inspired to write painfully. They're struggling against the wind, but they're, they're, getting, they're making progress. And then he says, it says, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Don't miss the part about walking on the sea. That's kind of a big deal. It's been throughout our histories, we've talked about Jesus walking on the water. And since we do this so much, it's just a thing. We read it like he walked on the water. It's, it's a big deal. But it's about the fourth watch of the night. And don't miss this part. He meant to pass by them. So Jesus has sent him out into a storm where the wind is going to be going against them. They, they have to struggle so much that it hurts. And as they're doing this, he purposely intends to walk by them. Not to them. By them. Now he's capable of going straight to them, walking on the water. I'm here, guys. Problem solved. Instead, he chooses to walk by them. And in your prayers, and you pray, say, Lord, please help me. I need you to come, and I need you to solve this problem. And you pray like this, and, and you just feel like, where is he? It's possible that you might want to look around, because he might be doing something, trying to get your attention. He's not just coming to rescue you from the situation you're in. He is wanting your attention. That's what, he, that's what he's doing with the disciples. He's purposely walking by them. This is a grand miracle in the middle of a storm, and he's walking by them. He has a reason for this. But I want you to notice that, that note that I left up there, that footnote. So let's bring in some Greek here. You'll see this come up behind me. Oh, JC, sorry about that. Uh, the Roman fourth, um, the fourth um, increment, the fourth watch is the three-hour increment between three and six. And the, clearly, the Christians um, were using the Roman timeline. This is an interesting timeline. And now, I want to bring into you uh, the Greek here. Oh, no, I don't. JC's on it, and I'm not. I got so much going on in my head, and, I, and he's helping me keep up with it. Let's talk about the Bible events that happened um, during this fourth watch, or at least close to it, in the night. There's a lot of things that happen in the Bible that are significant events that happen in this fourth watch, or at least in the, in, in the darkness, nighttime, early morning. So let's list them. We'll, do, we'll go bullet by bullet, and you can get ahead of me, J.C., the first one here, Jacob wrestled with God and met him face to face just before entering into his destiny as Israel. Genesis chapter 32, you can see that reference. Moses led the Israelites across the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14. Gideon defeated the Midianites in the middle watch, Judges 7. Next, today's event, I didn't give it a name, you'll see. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 to 26. I know it's in John, but I, want you to, I wanted to give that one on purpose. The angels appear to the shepherds in the field to announce the birth of the Savior in Luke chapter 2. And Jesus is resurrected from the dead in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. 
Uh, one more, right? The bridegroom woes his bride in the night hours. Song of Solomon in Matthew 25, we have that reference. Okay, now we'll go, the Greek is coming, it's on a different slide. Um, we're in John, uh, in our text again, chapter 6, verse 18. Um, the sea became rough because a strong was, wind was blowing. We've already read that. The next one. Next verse, uh, verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, and there's a note there, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Well, that's natural, isn't it? Wouldn't you be? I mean, if there's a raging storm, you're fighting against the wind, you, you are hurting it so hard to make progress, and then you see somebody walking on the stormy waters. This water is not flat. It's a storm. So it's even kind of weird to imagine what it even looked like. I doubt he was bobbling up and down. That wouldn't look very cool. I mean, he's the savior of the world, the creator of the universe. Imagine what he was doing looked cool. So I don't imagine him bobbling up and down. I imagine him just walking on the water, but it's, the water's moving all around him. He's stable, but the water is not. Because that's the Lord I know. But notice it says three or four miles in our text. Now, if you take that note that I have in my Bible, it might say something like this, and I just did my own thing with the Greek words, stadius, stadius, ikos, pente, e, trikontai. And now if you look at this, you might be thinking, oh, that looks like tria, that looks like three. Yeah, so you can see some things in here you might understand. Pente, I might know what that means. Here's the translation you can see 607 feet, that's approximate of a stadius, 25, that's my own typo. 25 is what the Icos Penta is, and then or 30. So it's 25 or 30, 607 feet. <laughs> if you do the math, you'll see it up behind me. 607 times 26 equals three miles. That's why I said three miles before. I'm taking the lower number. Could have been four miles. But if you remember, the text says that Jesus sees them. If there's a storm happening, it's hard to see three miles away, even on the water. So I'll take the lower number. Uh, he is the Lord, so he can see whatever, but I'll take the lower number on this particular interpretation of the text. Now let's go back to the map of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to make it easier on you if you still couldn't see. Now there's a bigger dot. You're welcome. And now you'll see it move to the location approximately where they had gone. So they had made progress somewhere around halfway across the Sea of Galilee against the storm. So if you look, it's at the top of the sea, and, you, and it, Jesus is walking by them as they're struggling to make progress. Think about this. They're struggling with multiple people rowing this boat. And here's a guy out there making more progress because he caught up to them. And he's walking by them. That's impressive, is it not? Go back into our text and look at the next verse, verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. He's good at this. If there is going to be a calm one in the room, it's going to be Jesus. And when you feel afraid, he has this consistent thing he keeps doing. When he's talking about signs and wonders, he says, do not be afraid. 
in the middle of chaos, he says, do not be afraid. And so that's what he says to them. It's natural for them to be afraid, and they don't know what's going on. But he tells them, don't be afraid. And it's possible that in the middle of your storm, where it's natural to be afraid of what might be happening all around you, he might say to you in inaudible words, don't be afraid. Now, I want to loop in something here that Mark leaves out. This is the part that's fascinating to me about inspiration. If you think about it, you've got John who focuses more on what Jesus says than what he does. You've got Matthew who's got a very cool perspective of an outcast. And he's into money because he's a, he's a tax collector. He's an IRS guy. People don't like him. People of his own belief system, the Jewish people, don't really care for him because they, they see him as almost a traitor because he's working for the Romans. And from his perspective, it's interesting that Jesus would even use him, have anything to do with him. And then you've got Mark, who was the guy that was considered to be a coward, who ran off when they tried to capture this disciple. He ran off, and they grabbed his clothes, and he ran off naked. He seemed, you know, he's perceived to be a coward. Paul perceived him to be a flake. But he's inspired also to write, but he was a traveling companion of Peter. And one of the things you'll notice as you read Mark is you seem to, see, you seem to notice that Mark, his writings tend to speak well of Peter. But what's missing in Mark and what's missing in John is Peter's involvement in this event. It's not there. And it makes you wonder, did the other disciples have some emotions connected to Peter that were negative? And as we get, when we, we've got a ways to go, but when we get to the end of John, you might see Jesus really being hard on Peter in front of everybody. But today uh, in Matthew, we're going to see, and I, I believe in inspiration. I know that these guys were inspired to write this. But it seems like God used each one's gifts and personalities to flavor it a little bit. And uh, Matthew just gives us the nitty-gritty. So let's go ahead and look at Matthew's piece here that's not in the other text. It's the only one that records this part. Matthew 14, 28 and following. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. That whole piece about Peter walking on the water, conspicuously absent from the other texts. It's almost as if Peter was thinking of himself as better than the others because he sees Jesus walking on the water, and instead of simply marveling, I want to do that too. It's this way it comes across, you know. And he gets to. 
And Jesus flips the script and turns it into a lesson for everybody to see, including Peter. And Peter doesn't really look so good. Yeah, he walked on the water. He was overconfident. And instead of having faith, he let his surrounding environment, his circumstances make him very afraid of what might happen. And he's right there with the Lord. He's walking on the water. This is something I guarantee you he's never even thought of before, much less done before. And he's doing it. And still, his natural human inclination is to be afraid of the circumstances. Much like us, you know, when we've had so many answered prayers time and time again, we've had, many of us have been part of miraculous prayers where there is no explanation for how God did that. And we just prayed and it happened. And yet in the middle of a circumstance where God's doing more things and we can see his mercy all around us, we see his blessings all around us and the circumstances get scary and we get discouraged and our faith wanes, just like Peter. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged that somebody is, the main mouthpiece of God, somebody as impressive as Peter, in the middle of doing a miraculous thing, still let things get to him. Just like me. Let things get to me. Let's look at Mark again. See his insight on this. Mark chapter 6, verse 15. Verse 51, and he got into the boat with them, meaning Jesus got in the boat with his disciples. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And isn't that interesting? So they were, think again of your mouth dropping open, like, whoa, he got in the boat and the whole storm stopped. That's impressive. And then Mark makes a note, they should have already understood he just fed 15,000 people. This is, this is the Lord. Your mouth shouldn't be hanging open. You've already, you already know. But their hearts were hardened. Okay, back in our text, John chapter 6, verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Whoa! Most of us miss that. He's three miles out. They're in the middle. I don't care. You can pick three or four. The Bible says three or four. Okay. If he's three or four miles, he's still in the middle of the Sea of Galilee at the top end. They are not at their destination. They are not near their destination. At the very least, they're a mile out, probably two. And as soon as Jesus steps in the boat, not only is the water the storm calmed and the water is still. And I don't know about you, but I imagine it being like glass. You know, because if the, when he does things, he does them better than anybody else. So if, if it can immediately stop the storm and become still, I imagine extremely still, not a ripple anywhere. But not only is it completely still, they just fast forwarded to the other side of the water where they were struggling so hard to get to. And as soon as he got in the boat, they were there. It's almost like Star Trek, you know, beam me up, Scotty, except across the water. Whoop, it just happened. That is a huge miracle. There's the walking on the water, the storm stopping, 
and a boat instantly being at least a mile further away. There's three things in one in this miracle. This is way beyond the surface of what we normally think about when we think about Jesus walking on the water. Now, let's talk about this beyond the surface. Now, I've got some bullets we're going to go through piece by piece, but and we'll do it quickly. But I purposely have left out some obvious others. Because sometimes God has a message for us, and it's happened to me more than once. I've had times where I have meet people after service, and somebody says, Preacher, I really appreciate what you said. You know when you said, and I'm thinking, I didn't say that. I'll go back and listen. I didn't say that. But that's what they heard. The Spirit speaks to them beyond my words. And the Spirit can speak to you beyond my words today. So, And I think some of you are going to draw your own conclusions. But here's some things that might get your noodles going. First of all, sometimes Jesus sends his disciples into challenges and storms. He did it in our text. He could do it to us. Don't think that just because you gave your life to Christ, it's going to be easy. I mean, some of us have done things to try to make our lives easier, and that's fine. But if you're going to live for Jesus, he told us more about that in John 15. It's not going to be easy. And sometimes they'll send us into storms and challenges. Don't let that discourage you. Second, when life gets scary, Jesus is near. If you know him, He's right there with you. If you don't know him, he's right there with his hand welcoming you. When you feel like you're sinking, reach back to him. He'll help you. Even if you lack faith, just like he did Peter, his hand is right there. Third thing, keeping our faith can keep us from sinking. That's what happened to Peter. Um, At least Jesus told him, why didn't you have faith? You have little faith. The fourth thing. Sometimes we cannot understand things because our hearts are hardened. It's right there in front of us. If we could just soften our hearts... And let him move us. We might understand. Fifth thing. Jesus is master of impossibilities. We just keep seeing it repeated over and over and over again. And we're just in John chapter 6. We got a lot more to go. But really, we've seen it in our lives, haven't we? Impossibilities mean nothing to Jesus. It's not a thing. And the last bullet that I'm going to give you, we can do better if we let our problems be beneath us. Colossians 3.12, I'm going to allude to that, not quote it. You can look it up. That's wrong, 3.2. Colossians 3.2, you look it up. I got the privilege of talking to somebody this week that was extremely broken. This person had made some very bad life choices and is paying big penalties. 
And once this person gets through the, all the godly sorrow and repentance, I'm, I, I'm ready to share with this person. This person's on the cusp of committing completely to Christ. I think it's going to happen this week. Might have already happened uh, where they are, but when I talk to this individual, I'm pretty sure we're going to be baptizing somebody again soon. But this individual, I look forward to talking to them and telling this person, you're above this. Which is kind of Peter's situation as he lost his faith. Jesus wanted him to have more. And when if you feel like you're losing yours, you feel like you're sinking with Jesus, you're above this. So let your problems be beneath you. I want to give you one more scripture because it relates to all of this. Paul brings it all back around in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm going to read it to you in the English Standard Version, the version we've been using today. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. God, so many times, you are trying to get our attention. You're speaking to us. And we just need to pay attention beyond the surface. Right there in your word, Lord, you reveal things to us and you move us. God, may we take action. Thank you so much for loving us so much to give us these dramatic stories and these wonderful events that we can read that historically took place that are so relevant to our lives today. Thank you. When we're struggling, when we lack faith, thank you for reaching down to us to pull us back up to spiritual safety. And God, if there's anyone here today who is struggling so bad, but they haven't reached up, may they do so. In Jesus' name, amen.